You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here, and I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. At 40 Strategy, we provide strategic consulting to help organizations realize and achieve their dreams. Seeker, basically, we help companies create their strategic plans and measure the right KPIs for success. What's crazy is only about 10% of organizations successfully accomplish two-thirds of their strategic objectives. And I don't know about you, Seeger, but I think that's pretty crazy that only 10% actually get that done. Do you agree? Oh, I definitely agree. It's crazy. And so at 40 Strategy, your success is our passion. That's why organizations call on us to help. Not only do we come up with strategy, but with proven practices that will actually help them facilitate and get it done. Harvard research shows when you actually focus on the right KPIs, you can actually triple the likelihood of your success. And who wouldn't want that? So email us today at catch at 40strategy.com or go to our website at 40strategy.com. Before we talk about our hosts, I also want to give a shout out to Rita Forden. Rita Forden is the CEO of the American Osteopathic Foundation. She's done an incredible job of helping grow that group. And through that, uh, working with AOF is how we developed a relationship with Seeger Morris. Our guest here today is Dr. Seeger Morris. Let's talk about Seeger's background. He has a formal education and experience in business management and leadership prior to entering medical school. Dr. Morris was a non-traditional student who earned his medical degree from Lincoln Medical University, DeBusk, College of Osteopathic Medicine. After completing his internal medicine residency at Magnolia Regional Health Center in Corinth, Mississippi, Dr. Morris held several leadership positions there in clinical, administrative, and academic positions before joining Baptist Memorial Healthcare in March of 2020, where he now serves as Division Chief of Mississippi Internal Medicine Programs and Program Director of the Baptist Memorial Hospital, North Mississippi Internal Medicine Residency in Oxford, Mississippi. Additionally, he is the Regional Assistant, Dean and Director of Health Policy Programs for William Carey University College of Osteopathic Medicine, and he lectures nationally on a wide variety of topics. He's very active in professional service and is the current president of the Mississippi Osteopathic Medical Association and serves on the board of directors of the American Osteopathic Foundation. And he is also the 15th DO in his family. Seeger, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, glad to be here, Carl. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So as we were preparing and talking about this session today, you have a really big event happening coming up here on June 21st. Why don't you share what's happening? Because it's a, it's a really big event. Yeah, well, it's actually a culmination of a lot of individual events into, uh, you know, the, the big master plan. And that's that we are uh, launching our first class of our uh, internal medicine residency program uh, here in Oxford, Mississippi, which is uh, uh, a big thing for the community. 
it's a big thing for uh, physician training in the state of Mississippi. And uh, uh, obviously, it's a, a source of pride as an accomplishment uh, uh, for me and our whole team here uh, that have put in a lot of work to, to get the job done. How long, how many years has it taken to help get this all put together? Uh, well, the organization itself has been, uh, you know, trying to to get the pieces to come together for for five years or more. Uh, I came into the picture and and started here at Baptist in in March of 2020. So uh, we kind of once once I got here and and started looking at things, we we condensed a, a two year plan into a one year plan, and uh, here we are uh, rolling with it. Wow! Wow! It, so t- tell me about a little bit of that. How did you take something that, you know, it, it obviously was moving along and going a process. How did you take out the steps to actually get something done that would have been two more years and, and to condense it into one year to actually get it live and, and, and going uh, live with the organization? Well, I think it's the, I, one of the biggest parts, Carl, as, as you know, full well, is you got to have a strategy. You got to have a plan. And uh you know, if, if you just kind of step step right into, you know, somebody else's vision of of where you can go and how fast and what the steps to get there are, uh, you know, sometimes people don't see things the way that you are. You do. So uh, from from my perspective, uh, I just looked at what the end goal was, where we needed to be, marched out that timeline and laid kind of an A, B and C timeline together built a team around it and uh, everybody was on board. And, and once that happened, we just kind of marched right through the steps. What's the next, next milestone we need to achieve. And, um, and that got us where we are right now. We're obviously not done. This is just getting the program started, but, uh, but getting here in one year uh, is definitely something that, that we celebrate. So what a fun opportunity to start something from scratch, right? You know, where, where you, you have a new organization, you are building a new residency program in osteopathic med- medicine. So I'm curious from the culture core values perspective, right? You know, because you, you've been and seen a lot of different organizations and the way how they operate and work. What type of things have you thought about from a cultural side that you want to do things perhaps a little bit differently? to help make sure that the residents who are going through this program perhaps might have more success than other programs that you've seen? Yeah, well, I, I think one of the, one of the downfalls of, of modern medical education is, is uh, uh, despite a lot of talk about well-being and balance and uh, well-rounded education and everything, when when the rubber meets the road on, you know, what you're getting tested on for board certifications, et cetera, uh, it's, it's a lot of surely academic and, and clinical medicine. And, uh, and, and I think uh, the, the parameters that were put in place 20, 30, 40 years ago by some, uh, you know, uh, uh, former credentialing structural, uh, you know, ACGME requirements or or accreditation requirements for the hospital itself. And so uh, starting something brand new with the parameters that are here today for us, with the understanding that physicians live in a new world, we are emphasizing 
uh, well-being. We are emphasizing well-rounded education and everything that goes into healing patients and, and their general health, cognizant of the mind, body, and spirit in the osteopathic philosophy. Uh, is really interesting to be able to just lay a framework out from scratch uh, without kind of, you know, all those old parameters. And so that's what we did. We just looked at what can we say and do and create to train the best physicians to practice today and tomorrow in the communities that we want them to practice in. Uh, And that's been our driving mission of, of our program is knowing where we want people to practice, how we want them to practice, and then recruiting people that will fit that rather than the other way around, trying to change somebody into something we don't want them to be. Hmm. So now it's pretty exciting. Now you have a new residents getting ready to come in, right, to the program. And you just mentioned that you have that challenge, right? You have these real you know, uh, I love how four disciplines of execution talk about it. You have these real whirlwind activities, right? Where you have to get things done. So what are you going to do along the way to help people keep their heads up and, and realize a little bit of the bigger picture? Um, well, I mean, if, if, if we're talking about the resident physicians themselves, because there's multiple dimensions, you know, we got to have happy employees. We've got to have happy faculty. We've got to have happy resident physicians. And we've got to have happy students that are going to want in to want to turn into happy resident physicians. So everybody has a little bit of a different approach. But I think as long as everybody's here for the right reason, uh, then then that's going to that's going to drive our success in terms of the more tactical aspects of it. Um, I, I, I kind of quip often that I think it's the osteopath in me, but I truly do believe the structure dictates function and the structure and function are interrelated. And I think that's not just when we're talking about the human body. I think that's when we're talking about business, when we're talking about life, relationships, you name it. So structuring the program's curriculum in a way that will attract people that want to be a part of a balanced approach to life and health and training uh, will produce people uh, that actually practice and live that way. And, and so that's what, what I and our faculty I believe have really bought into is that we've got to structure things the right way uh, to actually get those results. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, What do you see as on going forward? What what do you see as some of the biggest obstacles you're going to have as let's say, you know, you kind of had an initial excitement of year one, how do you keep that continuity going, right? Year two, year three, year four, where you don't, you, you go back to what everyone else is doing, right? Because that's the norm. Yeah. Well, I think the, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've talked all along, our, our team has, that it's really a, a unique type of person that wants to be a trailblazer at a brand new residency program. And so your your first class, I think, is is always going to be a little bit of a different personality uh, than, say, that second one and third one, you know, because it's like anything. You have early adopters, you have mid adopters and you have late adopters. Right. And those are different personalities along the way. So I think the biggest obstacle is is balancing all of those personalities. Uh, You know, that that first class, when they're getting ready to graduate. 
they're going to know that they paved the way for the people that came after them. And they walked uphill in the snow both ways and, and all that, you know. So uh, I, I think that's that's always going to be a major obstacle. We, we've got a 12 resident per year program at a community hospital. And so, you know, it's a pretty good size program for a community hospital. And and that's a lot of personalities to, to balance and and get settled into a new community uh, that may be very different for them. Uh, and And so. Yeah, it's it's it comes down to people and personalities, I think, as as the biggest obstacles to, to get everybody on the same page initially. And then once they are, then it's the more tactical stuff. Yeah, 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 that's good. So, uh, Seeger, one of the things that I've been very impressed with is, is you have a deeper meaning behind. And I want to say this in, in, in the, the utmost way. I mean, being a, a doctor at any time in a profession to help others um cure their illnesses cure their challenges right and in a health profession is is a big deal but you want to take it you want to have greater significance and go beyond that you know just beyond if you may your core um being a doctor if you could share with the audience what that is tell us about what you're doing and and how you're trying to make a greater difference right now in the world yeah well i think that you know being a physician is is you know, fantastic. I think for, for anybody, it's, it's, it's a lot of work, um, that goes in to get there. There's a, there's a lot of sacrifice for physicians and it's not unique to physicians, uh, healthcare professions in general, there's a lot of, uh, personal and family sacrifice that goes into, you know, giving to those in need. Uh, but I think, you know, for physicians in terms of duration of that, uh, you know, it, it, it's a long road and, and then it, it's a, it, it's a long career with a lot of hours. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I feel like that being a physician and having the, the mindset of, of the next patient in front of me or the patient in front of me right now, and how many patients can I see in a day? Uh, it, it's really limiting in a sense of the bigger picture uh, impact that we can have on the world. And so uh, I've come to to look at things of how can I continually expand my impact, expand my sphere of influence. And, uh, and, and you know, at, at the quote day job of, of being a physician and treating one, one patient at a time, you know, I may be able to see 20 patients a day. I may be able to see 30, 40, you know, everybody has their limit for how many they can see in a day and in one set one setting. But if I can participate in training the next generation and even more than doing that on a personal training level, but if I can influence the system in how we train people and scale, then I'm continually scaling that. And that's why I've made it a big part of my life and career to be involved in professional advocacy, have a multidimensional approach of being involved in the academics as well as administrative aspects of medicine, in addition to caring for patients in that one-to-one capacity. So, so for me, it's all about, you know, how can we continue to have a bigger scale of impact on the world for the positive? So what's the biggest, what's the one big thing? If you, if you like could really 
yeah, there's so much opportunity, right, in in the medical profession and in in the industry as a whole, right, in terms of how what is the best way of doing things. What's the one thing today, if you if you could spend fix something that you think would have the greatest impact, what would that be? That's a good question, and uh, you know, it, it, it I'm I'm not always the popular guy when I say this, but um, but healthcare is way too regulated. Regulation stifles innovation. And if you mandate how people do things, the process to change how people do things takes so much time, money, and energy that you're constantly behind. And there and healthcare is by far the most regulated industry and profession that there is. And so if, if we want to do it better, we've got to have a lot of regulation get out of the way to let the front line lead the way from the ground up. And, and that's really interesting. And so, so how do you create that? That's a really fascinating thing of, of right? You have this, um, fix, right? The, the biggest risk in medicine, as opposed to other industries that are out there, is the risk is somebody might die, right? Or they might, you know, might have a greater ailment as a result of, if quote unquote, for lack of a better term, malpractice, right? Something in the heck So I can understand the regulation. And there's, of course, so many suits, lawsuits, right? That, that happen in, your, in, in this industry as well. So how do you, how do we create that freedom, right? Where people can feel less risk. That's the right term to say. How we can create that feeling, right? So, so innovation can take place, right? So, so we can remove these things that are taken, that, that it is waste, right? It, it is waste to do a bunch of paperwork. It, it is waste to um, wait in lines, right? It is waste to um, wait three months to get a picture, right? Of something that if we maybe got three months ahead of time, you know, it could have potentially been preventative medicine rather than solving a problem that could have, you know, wasn't acute, you know, by the time we get there. Um, What's your thoughts on some of that? You know, how do you, how do you change that mindset? Yeah, I I think it comes down to doing everything that we can to preserve the physician patient relationship as being the most important aspect of healthcare. Mm -hmm. Uh, If we preserve that relationship and the trust that is required and, and involved, in that relationship uh, at, at all costs and getting everything else out of the way, if that's our driving force, then, uh, then I think we'll, all of the re-regulation, I don't think it's overt, I don't think it's deregulate everything. That's not the answer. It's re-regulation. It needs to be a re- reassigned with the idea of protecting the patient-physician relationship, not the payer-physician relationship or the payer-patient relationship and stuff. It's really, we have to get back to protecting the physician-patient relationship and knowing that that's the North Star of everything that we need to do. Well, you were talking, it it made me think of, somebody said something really profound. As a matter of fact, if David Solomon, person I work, he's current CEO of Lightspeed Technologies, and he said something that blew me away. He said, Carl, you realize that, that potential clients or customers lie to you, right? And it, and it really, I'm a pretty trust person, trustworthy person. You know, I mean, I believe generally what people are saying is to be true. And so when he told me this insight, I was like, 
whoa. And I, I had to flip myself around going, how many times have I not fully disclosed or, you know, a vendor perhaps asks they want to buy something like, oh, well, I'll talk to you in three months, right? You know, or, or I'm too busy right now. Or, you know, we don't give them the full reason. I'm like, no, I have no plans to ever buy your product or service ever, right? We don't give the full reason. It's sort of like we say, oh, how, how are you doing today? I feel great. And, and so I think about myself, even myself, when I've gone into doctor appointments and whether we're nervous, I'm talking about from a patient perspective. It, unless we don't have full trust, we don't necessarily say everything that's wrong with us. And we wonder why on the other side, we can't get better outcomes, right? Because there's this, I think, belief that, well, the physician, you know, they, they're, they're practicing medicine. They're trying to learn, figure out. But how do we think physicians can do the job that they need to do when we ourselves aren't providing full transparency of what's really happening and taking place? And, and so anyways, I, I'm just resonating with you, this trust factor, right? You know, yeah. the speed of trust uh, that Covey wrote, I... I I love just that core concept of when there's greater trust, it speeds up solutions to happen. And, and that's what you're talking about here, it sounds like. If yeah. you can get the, doc, the physician and the patient to truly trust each other, they might disclose they've had other ailments for a longer period of time that they wouldn't normally do because they were, would be concerned to be saying about something else, right? You know, some other part that takes place. It's one of the things that I found in, in the COVID world that we've had, I, you know, you and I have used Zoom money multiple times together and, and you get this part with Zoom where you get to, but getting that deeper layer of trust, I still find the personal in-person experiences, you're more likely to get the unscripted discussion, right? Which is sometimes the real why behind the why something's going wrong, you know? And, and so, um, anyways, I just appreciate that insight that you brought up because to me, it's, I think it is a really fascinating thing and in, in creating that. And there's probably also a teaching thing that has to take place because not ever, it's not everybody's strength to create that trust, right? They might be more a researcher type, not a personal type. And how do you create that, right? When they don't necessarily have that, that skill set together. Well, and, and not only that, but, but from a teaching standpoint, I mean, we, I mean, I have an obligation to teach people to be able to function into a system. Mm. Well, if, if that system is, is one that's not truly centered around the physician-patient relationship, then I'm teaching things that are taking away from that and, and teaching them, spending time teaching them how to navigate uh, payer issues and value-based care and, and all of these types of things, that those values may not be the values that are important to the patient in front of you. They're the values that are important from a financial standpoint to the payers. That's what value-based care means. It's not value per se to the patient because every patient is an individual in that. It's value-based from a financial standpoint to the system as a whole. It's not that it ignores quality and outcomes, but it ignores the fact that the desired outcomes are dramatically different between individual patients. Mm. So, uh, so again, it's, I, I think that that trust factor of the relationship uh, has been lost in all of the regu regulatory uh, hogwash that just continues to, to compound things. And, and so, 
you know, I, I just think we need a reset on the on the guiding light a little bit there. Good. All right, so let's let's turn turn uh, pivot a little bit now. So you you are one of the I would say in my experience with talking with physicians, you're you're very busy as it is, right? You're just core job is busy. And then you add to it, you are on multiple boards. Um, you have started something new, which is a whole different energy set, right? Than just continuing and maintaining. And then you have a family and, you know, you have young kids and how, what are you doing on a personal side to give yourself that energy to keep moving forward? Right. Cause this is not easy. These are not easy things to keep up that momentum and the energy and so, so tell me to, and tell the audience some of the things that you're doing on a consistent basis to make sure you can maximize yourself, your productivity, so you can make a greater difference. Yeah, well, I can, I can speak from experience that uh, it, not only me, but in, in, you know, a lot of people around me, physicians are uh, uh, by nature, sometimes the do as I say, not as I do type. Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, from a health standpoint. And I really just, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I just started to, uh, I, I honestly, I kind of hit one of those burnout moments where I was just, I was saying yes to all these things because I had this burning desire to impact the system in so many different ways and, and continue to expand and scale this influence. And I just said, I was the yes guy. I was saying yes to every single thing. And, and uh, man, I got I got stretched crazy thin, and then I started to get some dis- dissatisfaction of the day job, and wasn't paying attention to my to my own health. And then I was seeing that, uh, you know, that was impacting my my family at home and everything. And so I just went back to the drawing board a little bit when when I made a change to to move into this new role that I'm in, uh, at, at, in in terms of you know, being the director of the residency program. And I thought, you know what? The best leaders I have ever known are the ones that walk the walk. And they may not do it exactly how they're advising or the people that follow them don't follow every single aspect of what they do. We all have our own vices, you know, but um, but I've got to get myself in a position where I can bring it every day to whatever these roles are that I have in every one of them. And so that required, uh, you know, some focus on my, my physical health, um, you know, what I eat, what, how I exercise, you know, my sleeping pattern, uh, all of that kind of stuff. And then going back to the drawing board of prioritizing family and then kind of expanding, expanding out from there. And, um, and honestly, you know, it, it's not easy to unwind once you've said yes and yes and yes. I mean, I want to honor my commitments. And so it, it can it can take years to to reset some of that. And uh, and I'm, I'm still in the middle of that uh, of that process right now. But but the driving force behind that is I really believe that first you have to take care of yourself and then you can move out and take care of your family. And then you can expand to your neighbor and then your community and then your state and your nation and so on and so forth. And I believe if we all did that more, we'd all be a lot more successful collaboratively rather than, you know, you don't put the oxygen mask on the other person first. We've got to make sure that we are taken care of. 
And that's not selfish. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I, it, it, it's, it's sort of like, you know, when you, you're flying a plane and they, the oxygen mask comes down and they remind you, put it on yourself first, right? Before you put it on the child next to you, right? Because if you can't breathe, you can't help the child who's next to you. And, and that's the same uh, part that we're talking about. You're talking about, I think, is, is, is so important to, to make and create that time. You know, I, I've, I've seen your, as, as we know, your personal strategic plan. It is an ambitious, uh, awesome plan where you have actually structured how you're connecting with your family. You're structured your exercise program. You're structured your eating. Um, you know, for those who are listening out there, there and there's specific key performance indicators where you've measured what success is, and and it's and it's not easy, right? But you're you're you care to get towards there, and and um, and I think you could say, you know, when you when you're meeting those more commonly, you're probably more likely to have you feel better about yourself, a than b. You probably have more energy to support those around you. Is that fair to say? One hundred percent. When I get through, and and honestly, I'm kind of on the tail end of of one of those just whirlwind periods of time where you know the personal health, the exercise, those kinds of things, uh, it just started getting sacrificed for a couple of weeks, you know, and and the you you start to feel it, you know, take its toll a little bit, and it, it starts to to get that that physical drain, and and you're like, all right, I. I'm recognizing it more and more now because I know what the plan is and, I, and I've seen what the success on the other side of, of being successful personally and with the family first can drive. And so, uh, you know, so it's easy, to, it's easier to catch yourself after you take a step or two back on, on some of those plans. Once you've kind of, kind of gotten it in, in the groove, so to speak with your, uh, with your personal habits. Absolutely. Okay, Seeger. Um, one of my questions I like to ask all our guests is, "What is one of the?" I know you're a pretty good book reader, audio book person. You, you do quite a bit, and you, and you were like, "Oh, I got fifty books." I can. <laughs> you didn't say that specifically, but you're like, you know, for the most part, you you have a lot of things that influenced you. What is what is a book specifically that you like to share with the audience? You think that may have a significant impact? Yeah. Well, as we've talked, you know, sometimes the. Uh, uh, the book depends on the on the setting or the place in life, and and the driving force. Uh, the last couple of years, one of my uh, one of my good friends, Peyton Priest, actually turned it on uh, to me, and and uh, it's called uh, Peak Performance. I actually keep a copy of it in my office, but um, Peak Performance, and and we've used it. We've we've talked a lot about it actually when we've been building out our residency program and talking to potential candidates about it because it's influenced the structure of our program. And uh, I love the interplay that the authors make between uh, cognitive development and cognitive training with physical and athletic training and how stretching too thin in both ways without having an opportunity to, to reset and recharge uh, is counterproductive. And so uh, I, I don't know if they ever used the phrase in the book itself, but we've kind of dubbed it interval training for the mind. <laughs> and uh, and and so I personally found more success uh, taking that approach, or at least it's it's enabled me to uh, better understand that maybe there is good at 
pushing myself to a mental limit uh, with, you know, stressing that, uh, that, that personal development and personal success from a career perspective. And then also to value the reset moments as being critical to, to take that vacation, take that time off, completely unwind, because it truly is productive and there's science behind it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's an excellent book. And, and I, I do agree with you, Sigur. I think it's a great thing for the audience to, to, to read or listen to. Um, it's an excellent way to, in, in practicing the habits, of course, like a lot of these things, you know, is, is really where the value is. So, all right, Sigur, thank you so much for being on the Measure Success podcast today. Thank you for, for uh, being with us. So thank you. Yep. Glad to be here, Carl. And to the audience, uh, we're wishing all of you the very best at measuring success. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.